A recent leaked Treasury document put the cost of COVID in the UK for this financial year at £337 billion. Now that's a mighty big number. And to put that into some context, that's two and a half times the current NHS budget, or well over eight years of the UK's current education budget. In this session, we discuss what options the government has to pay for the COVID pandemic and what actions you might consider to protect your position. My name is Tim Stolkart and I'm a partner in Tilney's financial planning practice. I'm joined today by Mark Pollock, a fellow partner in the London office. Well, we will be in the London office, but of course we're recording this from our respective homes. Both Mark and I advise senior business people, entrepreneurs and professionals, and our thinking for this podcast is, is influenced by the increasing number of conversations we're having around the topic of who pays, in addition to internal research and debate. We should be quite clear though, that the content of this represents our views, which we expect to evolve over time. And we'd be really interested to hear your thoughts. And given that events are moving so fast, we confirm that this conversation is being recorded on the 18th of June, 2020. But before we begin, here's some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. We plan to start a conversation with a wide overview of where the government is positioned and the likely direction of travel before considering possible changes to the big three taxes, income, capital gains and inheritance tax, with particular consideration of possible pension changes. Mark, we're only in the first weeks of the new government when the COVID became a reality and the budget of 11th of March was dominated by what seemed at the time to be extraordinary measures to protect the economy. And it was, I believe, a 55 billion pound package. Yet that quickly paled into insignificance. Now, I'm going to say, if you were the Chancellor, what would be your main priority now? Good morning, Tim. Well, for the first time, I'm glad I'm not the Chancellor. <laughs> but if I was, my focus would be centred on stimulating the economy after the demand shock. Yeah, I agree. And presumably, though, that massively limits the options, Mark? Yes. I mean, there's, there's no doubt in our minds that the government will do all in its power to avoid bringing in austerity measures. That's very, most, very much associated with previous governments, the old Conservatives. And uh, we've seen through this crisis that this government appears to be making policy with an eye to the opinion polls. Yeah, I agree. So I think austerity is out, definitely. So what does that leave then? Well, it's quite possible that the debt will be regarded in the same way as a wartime debt. And with current interest rates at 0.1% and inflation at 0.5, there is obvious logic here. Um, yeah. But I don't propose that we discuss that further here. No, I know, but it's an interesting point, isn't it? You know, the UK throughout this, throughout this has used wartime rhetoric in the battle against COVID. And, you know, we've had, uh, we will fight this virus with everything we have. 
we are in a war against an invisible killer. And that's just from the health secretary. Um, extraordinary language. So I'm increasingly of the view, I have to say, that that, that rhetoric will continue and be used to you know, be used to justify some potentially really radical policy changes um, that would just not have been possible in normal times. And I expect, you know, we, we you know, expect to see that we must come together as a nation and we need to continue to finance our heroes in the NHS. Um, and I think importantly, you know, we, we've got to come together as a society and we shall ask those who can afford it to shoulder a higher proportion of the burden. And I'm afraid that means that uh, that's our clients, Mark. Um, I, I think they're the ones who, who ultimately we asked to, to pay the bigger share. Again, Tim, that's that's very logical. But about the manifesto promises that were not to raise income tax, national insurance or VAT? Yeah, I know. I think I think it's back to unprecedented times. You know, COVID wasn't on the horizon when the, the manifesto was written. And I think legitimately, you know, the Chancellor could say you know, this is a national crisis. Um, equally politically, there's over four years to go to a general election. Um, national interest. To be honest, I don't think uh, that manifesto restrictions will place any serious restrictions on the Chancellor. Um, okay, so with that context, um, let's explore the various taxes and options open to the government. Um, so let's start with income tax. Yeah, well, let's sort of continuing that theme, you know, your, your first comment was, was, I think, the central one, and that is the Chancellor's priority has to be to stimulate the economy. And we know that income tax is the single biggest uh, deriver of revenue for the, for the Chancellor. But do you want to be increasing income tax at a time when uh, the priority is stimulate the economy? What do you think? Well, I agree. I mean, it is said that a sort of 2p increase to the basic rate tax ban would raise around £10 billion a year, but that's going to hit many sort of working class families hard at this time, including frontline workers. Very unpopular, likely to trigger a media backlash, and back to that point regarding policies and opinion polls. Higher rate taxpayers, though, however, might not be so lucky. Yeah, I agree. It's back to the shoulder, shouldering the burden, isn't it? Um, you know, but will they increase the headline rate of tax? I'm not sure. You know, all the evidence is you increase, you increase a tax rate, as, as was evidence when Gordon Brown increased it to 50% in 2010. Actually, tax take goes down, you know, despite improved anti-avoidance anti measures since that time. Um, yeah, I just don't see it. What do you think, Mark? Well, potentially another option could be looking at making alterations to the tax bans, bringing down the starting point at which the additional rate, the 45% rate, applies, which is currently 150,000, to say a lower amount, 100,000. Mm. Similar measures were proposed in the election manifesto of Messrs Corbyn and Macdonald, if you remember. Yeah, and it wouldn't be the first time a government has stolen a, a policy from the opposition, would it? And uh, just thinking about that, if you were paying 45% tax at 100,000, that would make an effective rate of tax between 100 and 125,000 pounds when you lose your personal allowance, 67.5%. That's pretty eye-watering, isn't it? Wow. Back, to, back to Dennis Healy and uh, Pip squeaking. Crikey. Yeah. So, you know, the other, the other big area that's often, the often forgotten tax is national insurance contributions. And I know you've got some thoughts on this one, Mark. Yes, well, again, it's potentially stealing another Labour Party policy, which was uh, looking at merging income tax and national insurance and 
in, by doing so, effectively levying NI on all forms of income, including rent and pension income. Mm. Um, another option could be to uh, abolish the upper earnings limit and, and, uh, or increase the rate at which we pay above the upper earnings limit, which is currently at 2%, which was originally brought in to pay for things such as the NHS. Um, although uh, Rishi Sunak's been quite deliberate in focusing attention on the self-employed um, who pay class two and class four national insurance and generally at a lower rate than employees. When he announced his measures and relief packages for the self-employed back in March, he said it's harder to justify the inconsistent contributions of people with different employment statuses. He went on to say, if we all want to benefit equally from state support, we must all pay in equally. Mm, that sounds like a signal to me. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Not a lot you can do about it, though, but I think, I think you're right. I think national insurance would be uh, pretty high on the, on the Chancellor's uh, uh, list of options. Another one that I think uh, will be right up there is, is pensions, sadly. Um, we've had a lot of tinkering with pension changes over time. I expect you're having a lot of conversations with... Uh, clients and what what sort of things are you talking about yes i am um i think there's a couple of things that are very much on the agenda i mean the first is that perhaps it's finally time for uh higher and additional rate relief on pension contributions to succumb to legislative change and move towards a flat rate that has been talked about for um uh, quite some time i mean yeah. that would again produce a significant and immediate tax saving for the government yeah. How much is it that uh, we estimate pension tax relief costs? It's estimated at the present time to cost £35 billion a year. And whilst a lot of that has been stimulated as a result of water enrolment, much is still at that higher rate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been blocked previously by Conservative backbenchers, but I think the time is right. Again, back to that radical agenda. I think they could, they could push that through now. Um, it's, I think the time is... The time has come. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, what about tax-free cash? Again, a lot of questions, that perennial rumour, isn't it? What, what's your thoughts on tax-free cash, Mark? Yes, again, very much having those conversations. Um, I'm not so sure, though. I think uh, I, I feel that the tax-free cash is sort of sacrosanct. It's a fulcrum of, of, of the pension system. Um, and um, uh, I don't believe at this time the government will potentially look at changing that, although never say never. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, legislation calls it a pension commencement lump sum, uh, typical sort of uh, pension rhetoric. But there's no mention of it being tax free. But I just I just don't think the government will go there. I think it will be regarded as retrospective. And indeed, the Treasury sort of suggested that when Osborne was looking to change the rules um, back when he was Chancellor. But there's a third pension bit that I think uh, the government will seriously look at, and that's the uh, the pensions triple lock. Um, again, it's a manifesto promise, uh, but guarantee that the basic state pensions will grow at a minimum of two and a half percent inflation or average earnings growth. With inflation at what, half a percent? Two and a half percent feels generous and it's really expensive, isn't it? Yeah, there are real concerns that looking forward, this is just going to be unaffordable. Um, and uh, reports are indicating that scrapping this could save the government uh, around eight billion pounds a year. Yeah, yeah. So just to sort of summarise so far then, we've thought, you know, potentially income tax rises, but probably 
focused on higher earners, certainly not basic rate. We don't want to be um, hitting those, um, those key workers. Uh, we think national insurance, particularly for the self-employed, and on pensions, high rate tax relief. So is pretty high, pretty likely to go, we think. So uh, if you're thinking about making a pension contribution, you're a high rate taxpayer, you know, really think about doing something now, talking to us about doing that. There's some pretty complex rules about sweeping up from previous years. Um, so you can pay a reasonably sizable chunk. Um, do that. I think equally, if the tax-free cash sum is worrying you, come and have a chat because, um, you know, that's, that's an area that could go. We think it's unlikely, but never say never. My that's record of, my record of second, second guessing chances isn't perfect. Um, <laughs> Should we move on? Let's let's talk about the, um, the the second big tax, which is capital gains tax. Now that wasn't part of the manifesto pledge. Um, now and, and interestingly, and I've said this for a number of years, you know we've got a half price tax here, Mark. We've got the highest rate of capital gains tax at just twenty percent for non-property, twenty-eight percent for property. Surely that's a bit anomalous. Yes, I agree. I mean, I think it's felt that uh, capital gain tax rates are just too low at the present time and in either increasing those or aligning those rates with income tax and or reducing the annual allowance would address this point and in particular target wealth. Yeah, I agree. So if you, I'm sitting you back in Mr Sunak's shoes, so if you were Chancellor, how would you do that? I'd probably look to signpost it um, as a, and a change that's coming in from 6th of April. Not only does that make it easier from an administrative point of view, but what that also does is it creates a window, a stimulus for um, individuals that may look to, sort of look to sell some assets now. And of course, that then brings in uh, tax to the exchequer. Yeah, I completely agree. It would actually really drive revenue today, wouldn't it? Which is what, what's key. Um, interestingly, yeah, the work I did before the election, looking at what Corbyn got in, suggested it's not necessarily the right thing to do to, to crystallise gains straight away, but certainly other times when it absolutely is. Again, really complex, um, but it's going to stimulate lots of thinking. So start thinking now, I think, would be my advice. Um, yeah, anything else on CGT? Well, there's potentially another radical option um, that uh, would generate substantial tax revenues and what's more, generate them quickly. Uh, and that is to review um, the CTT exemption that applies to the sale of main residence. Wow. Uh, very recently, we've had a change whereby if you're selling property, the tax has to be paid within 30 days of the sale rather than 31st of January, the, the following tax year. Um, so the abolishment of the main residence relief it could generate substantial um, tax. It certainly could. Do you think they'd do that, Mark? Again, I think it's unlikely, in our opinion, um, a sort of further fiscal blow to the property market, which is potentially vulnerable right now. I just don't think it's, it's, the, it's the right sort of time. Yeah, I mean, they, we've sort of seen how important the government regard it. You know, estate agents were, were back in business before you could see your family. Um, and, you know, the Englishman and his castle and all of that sort of property. You know, when, when properties are going up, we're happy, aren't we? Um, yeah, I, I think that one's probably too radical even for this government, I suspect. OK, shall we, shall we move on to the third big tax, which is, which is inheritance tax? Um, so 
again, I, we've been talking about this. I think the challenge is, will the government increase death duties in the wake of a health crisis? I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the headlines the next day are really going to going to be something that the government want to go. You know, as we said, very focused on opinion polls. Um, but I've had conversations with private client lawyers recently, and they think inheritance tax is a really obvious area for the government to look at. Not least because you know IHT at the moment is at its most benign ever. Um, and you, you've made that point as well, Mark. Yes, I mean, I was looking back and I, I note that um, legacy and succession duties, which was a sort of precursor to inheritance tax, was actually raised to 80% in the aftermath of World War II. So back to that logic of that war rhetoric and we're all in this together. And indeed, it increased to as much as 85% under Harold Wilson's government. Mm. That's pretty scary, isn't it? And then there's a couple of... Uh... There's a couple of papers there, aren't there, on on the on on tax and the tax simplification papers. But uh, yeah, yeah. Rather than um, potentially changing the uh, the headline tax rate of forty percent, um, it's worth remembering the government are sitting at the moment of um, two reports from the Office of Tax Simplific Simplification, and contained within those documents are some stark statistics that estates above ten million are paying an effective IHT charge on death of below 10%. Now that is largely attributed to the effects of being able to claim a wide range of uncapped reliefs, business relief, agricultural property relief, and above all, uh, the ability to make unlimited lifetime gifts, which if you then survive for seven years after the date of that gift, falls out of your charge to inheritance tax. Yeah. Rather than increasing That's the rate of IHT, Changes to those allowances could be an alternative strategy to raise taxes and once again target wealth. Yeah, I mean, I think it arguably it's massively generous, isn't it, Mark? To give you could give away all of your wealth, live seven years, and you pay no tax. Um, and uh, yeah, I again, I think that's that's possible. And, and I suppose if you say, well, well, so what? What do I do about it? I suppose again, my counsel is don't make gifting decisions as a knee-jerk reaction you know, think about it it takes time to gestate you need to think about philosophy um need to really understand how much you need um to support your lifestyle for your for your lifetime and i've seen as i'm sure you have people who've given away too much too soon and are struggling to live which is uh, which is not a great result but you know start thinking about it definitely yeah. i think it's got to be on the agenda it's got to be on the agenda I mean, the other big tax that I'm not sure we're going to have time to talk about, actually, is VAT. Um, yeah, a couple of interesting points. I think we're both of the view that, if anything, VAT might fall temporarily, give people a window to buy big, um, big items. There's been talk about perhaps increasing VAT and online and decreasing for high street. Um, the other interesting point is if we come out of Europe, um, or when we come out of Europe, I should say, uh, we're then free of EU legislation about VAT and it gives the government a bit more flexibility to alter VAT rates between different goods and services. So uh, certainly uh, Chancellor can do some tinkering there. Yeah. Um, Grant, so we spoke at the beginning about you know radical, uh, radical taxes. We've looked at the three big taxes, we've looked at VAT very briefly. Um, I'm having a lot of conversations with clients about the, the spectre of a wealth tax um, 
I'm, I'm sure you've been doing the same. What, what's your thought on a wealth tax, Mark? Yes, it, it has been on the agenda and it's been also in, um, in the papers as well. Um, I mean, it stems from the fact that the Office of National Statistics have assessed that the sort of net wealth of the UK population is circa 15 trillion at the present time. And unsurprisingly, that's concentrated in property and pensions. So it could be very tempting for the government to um, look to attach a one-off tax charge on that wealth, which given the size of it, wouldn't actually need to be at a particularly high percentage in order to generate um, a tax take sufficient to repay the deficit that has been created. Yeah, I agree. So how would you do that then, back in your Chancellor's shoes? Well, therein lies the difficulty, because I just don't know if we've actually got the data available um, to charge this tax. Uh, the evidence um, from around the world also suggests that where other countries have looked to impose this, there are a number of ways in which um, individuals can look to avoid or reduce their tax charges, the obvious one being by taking on debt, which at the present time is incredibly cheap. Yeah, yeah, now that's, that's my conclusion as well. They don't, HMRC don't know what we own, so they can't, they can't charge it. And then there's potentially alternative ways of doing it. But uh, I, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. I mean, the same in mansion tax. You know, it's, it's been talked around for many years, but, uh, but I, I suspect it won't. But I still think, you know, back to our sort of radical theory, um, it's possible. You know, there's, there's, there's precedence to a, a one-off relatively short-term tax. I mean, I could foresee... The Chancellor introducing a COVID tax, for example. Um, we look at Germany post reunification, they introduced uh, a solidarity tax. Um, again, it's out of one nation rhetoric. Um, and, you know, arguably, they could say, you know, for three years we're going to charge this tax. Don't know how they do it. Um, and then, of course, after three years, um, got four and a bit years to an election start reducing the tax and you've got a tax cutting chancellor sort of kind of works the logic works um if you're gonna do it though and do a radical tax you're gonna have to do it now while people feel we're in a state of emergency you're not gonna wait so that's that's the balance i think the chancellor has to weigh up i agree i think that sits that sits quite well it's quite timely i mean the government has made much of the fact that the universal effect of coronavirus its impact on you know every citizen um sort of whatever their sort of demographic or, or earning capacity so potentially there is a public mood of solidarity and a, a blanket sort of new tax which is quite clear and defined as to what it's paying for and for how long would be palatable yeah i think it might i think it might should we pull should we pull those action points together then mark yes um, i agree i think that Look, the government are, continue to find themselves in a really unenviable position, you know, as they assess the various options available to them in terms of pain for the COVID-19 crisis. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and, you know, I think much the same way they're tackling the, the balancing act between public health and restarting the economy, you know, they've, they've got further difficult balancing acts on the horizon. Um, you know, and I think if I was listening to this i'll be thinking you know what what do i do how do i how do i manage my own personal finances what's what's the what can i do today to protect my situation 
Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, accepting at this stage that there are more questions than answers. And what we've been discussing here today, Tim, contains much speculation. Yeah. Whilst we must wait for the next budget and for the further clarity that that brings about, whether that's in the traditional autumn statement or an emergency budget, if called area, earlier, there are a number of points that clients should be giving thought to now particularly in terms of bringing forward actions that they are already considering, providing, as we've said, that they make sound investment and fiscal sense to do so. Yeah. And just sort of summarising those. So firstly, you know, making pension contributions now to obtain high rate tax relief, rebalancing the portfolio now to dispose of unwanted assets, uh, current capital gains tax rates and allowances, particularly if there's a capital expenditure on the horizon, um, bringing forward lifetime gifts. Um, and then finally, you know, if you're running your own business and have uh, have distributable reserves, then consider, consider making an interim dividend at current income tax rates. Yeah, so I should also say that the arrival of this pandemic and the global impact it has had and continues to have is really a once in a generation event and in the same way as other life-changing events that we deal with for clients marriage divorce retirement death of spouse it's a trigger point um, and it should really mean an act as a prompt for clients to to seek clarity to seek reassurance and advice from us in terms of whether they are on track to achieve their objectives and to review how their finances are positioned in terms of a defense against some of the future legislative changes and tax rises and other measures that we've discussed today. Um, and whilst we are working at home, we can continue to fulfill the, that holistic advice and interactive financial planning with our clients in a live environment across mediums such as Zoom and Microsoft Teams. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And it, it is, it's absolutely about, you know, protecting the situation, planning for the future, um, you know, the importance of keeping future future options open, you know, the sort of thing that we're doing sort of day in, day out. But I think it's sort of highlighted now that with crisis comes opportunity, um, but also risk. So uh, absolutely right time to sort of review review matters. Yeah, if we're led to believe anything is on the table, then should we see that flurry of fiscal changes from this government in the months and years ahead, it's going to radically alter the tax landscape. and therefore access to sort of quality financial advice is going to prove vital in managing those changes. For me, in short, our role in this crisis for our clients is to provide another form of support bubble. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's, it's uh, sort of the current phrase, isn't it? But that's entirely our role is, is, is support bubble. Um, obviously delighted to, to be talking to, to sort of friends, family, colleagues, um, at this time to help them to get their financial affairs in order. So, you know, please do get in touch. I, I trust you found some of our muting of interest, hopefully and haven't panicked you too much. Um, um, but Mark, thanks ever so much for, for your thoughts today. My pleasure. Thank you, Tim. As I said at the beginning, we'd be delighted to hear any thoughts you've got. If you've got any questions or have some comment, then please email podcast at tilney.co.uk. Thank you.